0: Hello and welcome to the long talk. And today we have a first. We have some real sporting royalty on the show. Now I'm sure he'll he'll uh, probably uh, laugh at that. But yes, um, the man I have on this this uh, today is the is an officer of the New Zealand Order of Merit um, and a uh, gold winning Olympian. But whilst he might be that, that's not what he's here to talk about. On the whole, um, welcome, uh, Tom Ashley. How are you doing, sir?
1: Yeah, doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you very much. So currently, your role is uh, the CEO of Canoe Racing New Zealand. Um, so I guess first off, we should probably clear, clarify as to what canoe racing is. That's it's the one where you have basically on a on a lake, racing in a straight line. It's not the one where you're going down rapids through the uh, gates and stuff.
1: Yeah, correct. So the high the highest profile um, discipline we're involved in is uh, sprint. Kayak sprint racing, um, so that's what you see at the Olympics, um, and then we're also uh, responsible for surf ski racing as well. Um, so that's kind of uh, typically downwind races of about twenty k's on the ocean, but you know, can can take different forms as well.
0: So, yeah. Okay, so, so more more kind of marathon. Um,
1: yes. Yeah. Yes. There. there are two two flat water disciplines: there's sprint racing and marathon racing. Um, and those those are both in, in K ones, and then uh, the surf ski racing happens in the ocean.
0: So, the um, how did you get into sport then? Because I mean, obviously you're you're more famous for your um, for your surfing than, than 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 on the canoeing side. But um, what was your first experience of sport?
1: Oh, I'm not not famous for anything. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's but, um, so yeah I, I got into sport I guess my, my my parents were both involved in sailing and particularly my dad um he was a sailmaker uh when I was growing up so he was always out in in boats and um and I right from my early childhood I was super interested in sailing and and had always wanted to um to learn to sail myself so I, I started sailing when I was eight and um Loved it right from the first day. Um, So, yeah, right from my, you know, after my first sailing lesson at age eight, I went to the library and took out every book they had on sailing and read them all. And um, immediately after that, I started giving, making these kind of proposals for my parents as to why they should let me um, quit school and be a professional sailor. (laughs) Luckily, they didn't let me.
0: So when when we talk about that, so we're talking about the the laser, the one-man dinghy. Kind of um, kind of thing that you learned, start you started your, or cut your teeth in. Uh,
1: so I learned in optimist, and that's the the standard junior class. And uh, I sailed optimist until I was about 12, 13 and then switched to P class, which is a a New Zealand class, which is um, you know all of New Zealand's top sailors have sailed the P class at some point. Um, so the optimist is an international class as the P class is a, is a, just a New Zealand boat mm-hmm. and then, uh, switched to windsurfing around age 14, 15.
0: Uh, but, but those, the, those two classes are all solo sailing, not, 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 uh, not more than one person on the boat?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, correct. That's, yeah. Um,
0: so yeah, I, I, did a very small amount of sailing at school. Um, we did it in a, in a gravel pit. It was very cold. Um, and we had in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in the UK, um. Uh, is it four twenties? We have the yeah, you get someone steering and also another person up, up front. But um, so mm-hmm. two man boats. But the this, to me, it seems like a lot to think about when there's um, a lot of coordination of different pieces. I guess that takes a while to to, to learn and uh, yet sort of a bit of hand eye coordination and also having to think of multiple things at the same time for sailing.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, fortunately for me, sailing doesn't require too much hand eye coordination, um, but. Definitely a yeah, really a really challenging sport. I guess any you know any sport at the top level is challenging for its own reasons. But um, yeah, sailing's a really interesting one. I think because there's a, a really high decision-making component in it. Um, there's a lot of um, you know tactics and strategy, and and then you're you know you're never dealing with the same conditions twice. So you know the wind is always different, um, changing from from. Um, moment to moment, but but also you know every day is different, and then you know you're you're racing on one um, on one racetrack with your competitors, and, and they're free to um, you know kind of try and interfere with the wind that you're getting or um, that kind of thing. So it's yeah, it's 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 really cool. Um, quite a lot of uh, technical aspects to it as well in terms of setting up the boat and um, trimming the sails, and then adjusting that as the conditions change.
0: Yeah, you've got that at the top of it, but even at the uh, as 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 a, as a sport for a young person to learn. Um, they're having to manage the steering whilst also thinking about the sails. thinking about where the wind's coming from, as you say, what's going on around them. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a good uh, it's it's a good learning tool for them to to understand many different things as well as as even the non the non professional. Yeah.
1: No, I think it's I think it's a really it's a really cool sport um, for young for young people and and you know they're it, yeah, as, as I said, requires a lot of, um, you know, or develops your decision making, um, but also it kind of develops your resilience, I guess, because you, um, you know, you're dealing with a lot of things that are outside your control. And so you're, you know, you, you have control over a certain number of factors, you know, you can control what you do, obviously, but can't control what anyone else is doing. And then the conditions are changing all the time. And, and you have to have to respond. So in that respect, it's it's um, yeah, it's a it's a really interesting sport. It develops some, yeah, some interesting um, skills.
0: And then you went from sitting down to standing up. Um, takes a bit more effort to, to on or well, maybe, well, maybe not effort, but on the site, the on the on the windsurfing side of things. And again, we're talking here about again, about sort of um, track racing is the wrong word, but we're not talking about the kind of the tricks off the waves. Or did you or did you did you did you, pl- did you play around doing a bit of that as well?
1: No, I was just uh, I just raced. So I, I started the Olympic windsurfing class when I was when I was about fifteen, and continued with that. So we we raced on a um, more traditional uh, board and sail called the Mistral One design for the up until the two thousand four Olympics, and then following two thousand four, uh, that equipment was changed to a, a slightly more modern. Um, uh, set of equipment called the RSX, which was developed uh, specifically to be the Olympic class. And that was the class from 2008 or immediately following 2004 Olympics. So for the 2008 cycle and its uh, its final Olympic cycle will be Tokyo. So it's still uh, still being used now.
0: And I guess that's, that's one of the interesting things about, about the surfing one is you all have standard equipment, whereas you look at something like cycling, um, there's a lot of innovation and, and technology, there's a technology race as well as a, a personal race, whereas actually uh, in the sailing one, it's it it's all standard equipment, isn't it? You all, all have to race with the same kit. Or, or, is, or is there a development side as well?
1: So different sailing classes have different rules about that. So some, even within the Olympics, oh, okay. um, there are yeah, varying degrees of development allowed. So, the, for example, the fin class, there is a, a reasonable amount of freedom. It's kind of a box rule. Uh, the 470 is a little bit like that uh the laser class is uh strict very strict one design uh and a number of other classes are the same so and the rsx windsurfer is a strict one design but it's uh it's interesting they they both have their advantages and disadvantages i guess where you allow development in a class you can keep it at the forefront of uh of technology and, and kind of lead lead the sport forwards um However, it can become an arms race uh, when you have a, a one design class, it i guess the the idea is that you you make it more about the athlete and less about the equipment that they're using uh, however there are there are downsides to that as well because you know with the with the windsurfing equipment it the quality control in the equipment is is not so good, so you know I would spend you know tens of thousands of dollars a year on you know buying lots of equipment and then testing them, uh, testing all of the say all of the sales against each other to make sure that I had you know the best sale to use at the most important time. and you know, so that becomes really expensive and and definitely um, athletes from countries that couldn't fund to the same level as New Zealand would be at a disadvantage there.
0: Okay, I was going to say that, yeah, that actually it made it more of a more open to other people, but you say it doesn't that, that as soon as you get down to equipment. Um, based sports there's, there's, there's always going to be a cost uh sort of side or advantage to, to it if you've got more funding um so you went on a uh, the on a, on a journey you were a professional um windsurfer for it's uh, according to your um linkedin profile anyway for, for for a decade uh culminating in winning that the gold at um at the olympics in um uh, sorry in beijing wasn't it um the, yeah, two thousand eight. Um, so, the was was that always your, your your sort of your goal from from when you kind of switched over at the age of fourteen? Was that kind of always your, your your target that you were going for, or was it something that you kind of like? Oh, look, I'm actually pretty good at this. I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll see how far I go, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, de- no, definitely it was it was always my goal, um, and and right from when I started sailing, I, I had always had the ambition to be Olympic champion and in, and in, in one class or other. So windsurfing i guess was um yeah that was the vehicle for my ambition in sailing uh, and yeah it was it was always quite a like i, I explicitly made that goal from quite early on and in fact after after I won the the medal in Beijing my my parents pulled out a poster that we'd made um around that was nineteen ninety five so when I was eleven and um and That poster had it was kind of divided into years and had a you know a couple of goals for every single year from 1995 until 2008 and um, culminated in a gold medal at the 2008 Olympics in sailing wow. and it was, it was really interesting to see it had sat on my wall for a number of years through my childhood I would probably taken it down age 17 or 18 um, but it was it was yeah it was really cool to see. Um, Even having taken it down, and not looked at it, say from I don't know around 2001, 2002, uh, when we looked back, I think only one or two of the goals that we'd written down in 1995 um, uh, I hadn't managed to achieve. So yeah, more or less every single every single one had had panned out as we as we'd planned.
0: And that's amazing. But with these sports that have got a have the Olympics as their top um the top achievement uh which, which also you're having in, in in canoe racing as well is that's a 13-year plan you're talking about there to reach to reach an olympics with the um with the tokyo olympics having been postponed for a year uh how are you finding that's impacted your your high performance athletes because having put they put all this year's effort in to a set date then to find its delay then have the uncertainty whether it's going to go ahead or not then to have it delayed. Um how how are your in in canoeing how are your high performance athlete's coping with that? Uh I,
1: I think it's hard to generalise on that one. So, you know, every individual will have their own response to a situation like this. I think um in in general, the the way that everyone's dealing with it, it's been really, really impressive. Um, you know, led, we're we're really fortunate to have an amazing coaching staff and you know like our technical director Gordon Walker is um, you know I guess pretty well known in New Zealand um, and a you know a really exceptional character he you know he's he's led the the response um, we have some yeah really fantastic coaches uh, in the team as well and, and some amazing athletes so you know I think everyone's rallied around really well I guess the uh, without without being too um, or without speaking too many cliches, you can, you know you can only control what you can control. so we' we're, we're just focusing on on what we can actually control and um, you know trying to roll with the punches a bit. And I guess it's really important also to be to be optimistic and, and look for the opportunities in these situations. So I think we're we're very lucky to be in New Zealand um, you know compared to, to some other places we could be right now. And um, and we're lucky to have such an amazing group of people. So you know, I'm sure we'll come through it okay.
0: Yeah, because it looks like there's what 12 events you have in uh, at the Tokyo Olympics. So, yes, quite a, a large number of athletes there, as you say. So, yeah, generalizing it's not – yes, yeah, some will be taking it better than others. Um, but, yeah, great to see you got the the good coaching staff to have that support around them um, in this time. The When you came out of um, – sort of you you you've, you went into coaching as your as your next thing after after actually um uh being a competitor uh, so so you always saw that your your future career was going to be within sport and and staying in sport uh no
1: funnily enough that was that was a total accident so i had always um i'd always specifically kind of planned not to get into coaching um and i I had wanted to go to to go to law school and become a lawyer. Uh, so after I finished my sailing career, I, I went to law school and I just was asked by a couple of my kind of ex-competitors to do some coaching for them. So it started just before the 2012 Olympics. I coached the Korean team briefly, um, more on a kind of contract basis. And then following the 2012 Olympics, um, one of my Ex Chinese competitors um, or Chinese ex competitors asked me to come and coach his uh, province team for the Chinese national games, which is a really big deal in China. It's kind of for them; it's, uh, if anything, even more important than the Olympic games. All of the provinces race against each other, and and so I went there on my uni breaks for for a year and did some work uh, with that province, and then from there. Was asked to be head coach of the Chinese national team. Uh, so for the first for the first little while, I combined that with with law school, and then and then with uh, my job at Russell McVeigh, uh, and and then eventually became full time in the, in the couple of years leading up to the uh, Rio Olympics.
0: So yeah, so the so did, did you have any coaching qualifications, any coaching badges, or was it all just sort of figuring it out on the job?
1: Yeah, a total um, seat of my pants to be honest. So, um, yeah, you know, I guess I, I knew knew my stuff as a as an athlete, mm-hmm. and, and I guess that's a that's one thing as a as an athlete in sailing. Uh, it, it's very much a, an athlete driven sport um, because it requires such a degree of independence. Um, it yeah tends to favour athletes who are um, who can kind of lead their own campaigns. So. So I guess I was, yeah, fortunate having had that experience and then, um, but definitely had a lot to learn in coaching and, um, yeah, made, made my share of mistakes. But it was a really, um, it was a really amazing experience, um, super rewarding. And, and definitely, I think, you know, that environment working in, in China with the national team um, and, you know, with all of the, the cultural differences and, and the size of the team. Uh, and, and you know the level that they were at when I when I started there, it was a, a. I can't imagine. I guess a more challenging environment, but also a more rewarding one. It was it was really amazing.
0: Well, that's I was, yeah. I was going to ask you about the, well, initially with, with the Korean one because um the I'm assuming it's South Korea rather than North Korea, um, the uh, there. But obviously, our, our image of South of of Korea um, from an educational point of view, it's a much more it's a much more um, structured. Um, kind of uh, uh, learning style in south korea much um, much more kind of um, aimed at i guess um, success within business and within um and within whatever you're doing rather than a new zealand style which is a bit more uh, laid, a bit more kind of we, we think more about the play and a rounded education and then life outside of work as well as work so how do you find that cultural clash initially with with, with an, uh, am I painting something that's that, that, that is that, that, that is true, or my or have or is, is my image totally wrong as to the culture clo or the culture change when you went over to Korea? Oh, so
1: I I don't really feel qualified to say too much about Korea because you know I, I was probably worked with with those guys for you know a couple of months and right. um some of that time was in New Zealand and and a bit of it was in Korea but uh, you know it was, it was it was a great experience amazing people. Um, I guess the the difference from from say a New Zealand sporting environment to the to the the small part that I experienced in Korea was, I guess a a, a stronger sense of hierarchy um, in you know between coach and athlete and and even amongst athletes. Um, so I guess a an example of that is from uh, and any Korean listeners will have to forgive me if I'm wrong here, but my, my understanding is that you know when Korean people meet um, you know the first question might be what's your name and the second question is how old you are and then they refer to each other by uh, words like you know older brother younger brother um, older sister younger sister so that's a really that's a really important part of the culture yep. so just being older than someone you're conferred a, a, a certain degree of respect and and so that the younger athletes all uh, had to be very respectful to the older athletes, um, which I guess is a, a, an interesting thing because, you know, there was uh, in the team that I coached, there was a young athlete who was super talented um, and probably much better or had a lot more potential than the older kind of incumbent athlete who would go to the Olympics all the time. And it uh, felt a couple of times like he, um, yeah, gave a bit too much respect to the older, to the older athlete.
0: Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I lived in um, Singapore and Hong Kong for nine years. Uh, and I remember getting referred to as uncle um, in in, uh, in in Singapore uh, quite frequently when we're dealing with, you know, with, with, with with local with local Chinese population. And yeah, and that so you're right. That age, um, that age thing is a is definitely part of the culture uh, in in a lot of Southeast Asian countries. Um, did anyone refer to you as un- uncle when you were over in uh, in um, in China?
1: No, not uncle. No, no. Not
0: uncle. Oh, okay. No,
1: uh, no, standard. I, I, I do look a lot older than I am, so yeah. So they definitely thought I was uh, uh, significantly older. Um, but no, I mean China. China was another thing again, to be honest. Um, yeah, that that I guess was I, you know, Korea superficially felt quite foreign, but then. Um, spending a bit of time with the people you know i guess it was all a bit more familiar whereas whereas i think china was quite different notwithstanding um that i spent a couple of years growing up in hong kong and and have spent a lot of time in hong kong um over the years but yeah china china was quite quite alien i guess the whole the whole sport environment and and culture yeah
0: from the sport environment i i imagine as you say about the size of team that it's much more a this is our team of surfers, uh, and you guys train as a team, and then we'll choose the best best one, or, the, or however you define best, to go on. Whereas in New Zealand, as you say, it's much more. I, I would expect much more. As you say individual driven, um, perhaps not as much funding behind, or, or, or a different style of funding behind it, and then you you go to the nationals and you earn, you prove you're the best that way. Whereas, let's get is is, is is that true? Is it is it kind of much more of a um, academy? Kind of setup or or coaching area for, for in China? Yeah, so I mean
1: that's a like that's a big a big question. Um, Sorry. <laughs> the so I guess it, a short answer is yes and no. Um, the the longer answer is uh, so. I mean China huge, right? And you know we're we're talking about one and a half billion people, and and just in windsurfing. Um, for example they neil pride who produces the the rsx equipment they for a number of years sold more rsx equipment into china than to the rest of the world combined so you know there there are a lot of people doing the sport there so the the system is is completely different no one does sport for fun so you you know you you don't just have a windsurfer and, and go windsurfing because you enjoy it the only people doing um windsurfing at all but particularly olympic class windsurfing are professional athletes Mm -hmm. and they become professional athletes from really young so age eight or ten recruiters from uh, initially city uh, city or town teams go out into into the villages and um, look for kids who generally who who aren't going that well at school and uh, offer them the opportunity, or offer their families the opportunity for the kids to become athletes. And and the the incentive, I guess, is is that you know instead of being a financial cost to the families, these kids start earning a salary from um, from their their training from quite early on, and and they're often then able to send money back to their families. And you know, it's it's interesting for a sport like sailing. You know, you can you can imagine a, a pretty easy talent ID program for table tennis or or basketball or gymnastics or ballet. Um, whereas for sailing, it's not exactly clear what makes a good sailor at age eight. Um, so, so you tend to get the kind of the kids who aren't very good at school and also haven't been talent ID by um, by the other sports and and you can imagine what type of um what type of group that leads to and you know we we had some amazingly talented sailors um it's so so that wasn't an issue at all but i guess having been pulled into the system not necessarily because they want to
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh you know the overwhelming sense i had when i started was just that no one wanted to be there like none of the athletes wanted to be athletes or or very few of them um but there are you know enormous numbers of people Um, sailing or or windsurfing and the the better ones you know would go from the city team to to then represent their province and then the very best would go from their province to represent the national team but the the system so I I, once I spent my kind of year with the with one of the province teams um, I then got into the national team and the the system for selecting the national team was was based on results at the um, Chinese national games or you know Chinese national championships uh, and at the time you know the best athletes at those events would would come into the national team and would bring their coaches with them and then the coaches were coaches and athletes were mostly motivated not by international success but by um, the prospect of um, say so beating the athletes from the other provinces at the next next national games which happens every four years so when I started there the culture was very much um, provincial
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know there, there was not a real sense that you know we were one national team it was you know it, in, the, in the dining hall uh, there would be you know a table of athletes from one province and then another table of athletes and coaches from another province and um the coaches generally seems to be more preoccupied with um, making athletes from the other provinces worth worse, um, worse rather than making their own athletes better. Um, so, yeah, so it was, it was a, a tricky environment to come into, uh, but, but also, you know, a really, really amazing experience because that was, that was a major challenge, I guess, initially um, to deal with the, uh, I guess the two things I've mentioned, one was trying to create a team out of this this collection of people and then the other was um, trying to get some engagement from the athletes and, you know, I guess help them to to want to be athletes. Yep. Because particularly in a sport where you're, um, you know, that requires a lot of independence and and decision-making, you know, you're just not going to succeed unless you really want to be there every minute that you're there.
0: And it's you uh, say so, I mean, there, there is that theory of uh, internal competition um, to to create the to create the strongest rather than internal cooperation to create the strongest. It's a, diff- a different um, uh, well uh, approach. Um, but the approach where you're as you say you're saying look, uh, it's not it's not if you win the Olympics, but it's if, if, it's if you win your nationals to get your next four year contract. Mm-hmm. Um, again, means that they're actually not. I'm peaking for that because if I don't get that, I don't eat next the next four years or. Or I don't have the same sort of income. Um, yeah, it's, it's I mean, interesting
1: one. yeah, you can you can certainly see how how it develops. It's not necessarily irrational to to behave in the way that they were, but um, but it wasn't going to get the job done that we needed to do, you know, at the Olympics or at World Championships. Yeah. Um, so I guess you know, we I, I really focused on trying to to build a culture where we, you know, you can, so there are, there are, I think two ways you can look at sport um, or in this example, two ways, you know, one is, is just, it's just about beating the people. And if you believe that then it doesn't really matter if you beat them because they're worse or because you're better, mm-hmm. um, you know, another way to look at it. The second way would be, you know, it's about being the best that you can be and then kind of seeing what happens with the results and And we really tried to focus on 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 that second way of looking at it and i guess it was a it was a challenging change um, you know we had to particularly um, we we got rid of a couple of coaches who who found that um, a bit too challenging and um, but the athletes really bought into that amazingly well and you know we got to the point after a year or two where i guess after after two years in the national team where you know, all of the athletes would were really focused not on not on just making themselves better but on helping their teammates to be the best that they could be um, it was yeah it was, it was it was a a super cool turnaround and you know a really rewarding thing to be a part of and um, as a as a result of that you know it became a really pleasant place to to be in the, in the team environment but also um, also the team became really successful and you know a couple of world championships um, you know we had uh, you know, several athletes and men and women in the top ten um, at the world. So it was, and yeah, it was it was a, a successful time, um, but a, yeah, a really fun one as well.
0: Yeah, and I can see how uh, the athletes would enjoy it as, as they've they've gone from having to look over their shoulder every day to actually just try and be good. Um, and if you can mm-hmm. focus all your effort on trying to be good, uh, you're gonna you're going to get better rather than having to, if you're not um, spending some of your efforts sort of trying to make sure something, well, yeah, focusing on something else, um, which is what yes. you have to do. So that was nearly five yeah. years uh, there. So what w- what triggered you to come back to, uh, to New Zealand?
1: Uh, so it was uh, part of it outside my control. Um, so there was a bit of a kind of political change in China and Chinese sport and a new minister of sport came in and and there was a bit of a move towards, um, I guess, or away from having head coaches who were foreigners, Mm -hmm. which, you know, that, that was a, I guess, a bit disappointing at the time, but also, um, also, you know, fair enough. And, um, and I had been there quite a while. So, so, um, no problem having a change. I definitely enjoyed, um, being able to come home and spend more time in New Zealand. Um,
0: so did, did you move as a whole family, or did you, or were you having to live 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 away from home during that time?
1: Um, I fly solo, so it, it was all uh, easy awesome. okay. for me. Um, yes, yeah, so I was I was over in China by myself, and just coming back occasionally to New Zealand to you know see my family and friends. Um, but yeah, came came back to New Zealand and was really just trying to decide what to do, and, and this opportunity came up with um, canoe racing New Zealand and um and ended up here which is it's been great.
0: Yeah I was gonna say how how did you choose between coming to sports administration or going into uh going back into being a lawyer? Was did, did someone knock on your door or did you or, or did you apply for how, how how did it come about?
1: Yeah, I was actually I was looking at kind of two two different paths, I guess. One was to um to start a career in sport. Um having I guess learned some things in in, uh, in my experiences in China and um, with my background in law I thought maybe it'd be an opportunity to combine those two things uh, and sports seems like a logical starting point I guess no one's gonna um, or w- with my experience as it was in 2017 no one was going to invite me to be CEO of their private company so um, so yeah this it, it i think it's a it's been a you know really great um a learning opportunity and and a you know a good time as well you know a a rewarding experience the the other option i was looking at was um going back to uni to uh to do a masters um but i mean obviously it's it's good to have a job and um <laughs> so yeah i'm still still considering the masters um but yeah that's that's kind of on the back burner for now
0: cool um and when you say that, yeah, that starting a sport, start, starting a career in sport, look, you've, you've also you've been an Olympic program consultant as well. Um, you've done coaching, obviously. You've, you've been an athlete, so it's hardly a. Um, whilst it's a, perhaps a new focus, it's it's still. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that you, you see it as a brand new career rather than a continuation of, of, uh, of your journey, which is yeah, just a, a different different view of it. Um, I guess canoeing. Ray, canoe racing is, has got a lot of similarities to that sailing in the fact that it's um, individual athletes, uh, and, um, uh, com- competing. Uh, there's or, or maybe two at most, is I, I believe, in, in a boat. So you've again small teams individually aiming to peak for a four-year four-year cycle. So from looking at it from a performance point of view, obviously the actual details are different as to how you. Do the sport compared to surfing, but there's an awful, there's a, not, um, there's an awful lot of uh, similarities between the two sports as well.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's that's an interesting one. So, it's, yeah, fascinating that it looks that way from the outside. I guess have been so um, immersed in in sailing and windsurfing for such a long time. I guess I probably see more differences than similarities. I guess it, yeah it depends what what level what kind of resolution you you're looking at so some I mean some differences I think uh kayaking takes place in a very very controlled environment mm-hmm. so you you know you're racing down down one lane in a straight line uh, and nobody else can can interfere with with what you're doing so you know that you're looking for the fastest way to get from point A to point B with with very few variables. Um, so that's that's kind of one major difference, I guess. The the methodology of training is is quite different as well because of that controlled environment. You can you can I guess control the the input um, to a much greater degree. There's a really interesting aspect as well in the you know the fact that athletes or the best athletes typically are doing, you know. Um, individual and team events. So there's K1, K2, and K4, and athletes are, are changing um, between the events. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's a, I mean, a, it's a it's a real challenge to, you know, to building a a, a really high-functioning team, and that athletes will be, um, you know, competing against each other one day or, or, you know, one hour, and then the next hour they're in a team working together. Um so you know, it comes comes with its its challenges for sure, and and you know it's, that's that's I guess a really interesting part of the dynamic of the sport.
0: Mm. Oh yes, yes, you're you're looking at it uh, as as the um, the mechanics of the sport, which 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 I was kind of get it guessing that was part of the the, the the coach's kind of remit. But as a CEO, when you're looking at structurally the sport and the planning it out of of your finances, of um, uh, of uh, of kind of um, your pipeline of athletes, that point of thing that, that it has a similar rhythm to, to a, to a rowing, to a surf, to a to a sailing, to a uh, maybe weightlifting, etc. In that in that four-year rhythm, around funding, uh, and, and growth of the sport, is kind of I guess I guess that that that, that was the sort of similarities I, that was that was kind of referring mm. to.
1: Um, yeah, I mean that, that's. Uh... There, there certainly are similarities. Yeah, I, sh- I shouldn't downplay those too much. Um, and you know, I guess, and the the overarching similarity of, um, you know, the approach you'd take to be successful in any sport, I guess, is a, or similar to what you'd take in, in any other area of life. You know, kind of a a, a problem-solving approach. Um, and then you're right about, I guess, the four-year cycle and things. Um, I, I guess the the, the funding model at least the one I experienced for sailing was was quite different in that you know, because you're dealing with individual campaigns that are led by the athletes you know there was a, a really significant amount of um, amount of freedom I, don't, I I don't use freedom in the in a kind of uh, loaded like positive sense but that was just you know that that's what it was so every year you'd go to the world champs and then, depending on your result you'd be offered funding for the following year and and told basically to go away spend the money and and get get results next year and if you didn't get results next year you didn't get money um but there was very little control over what you did with um with the funding you had whereas you know i guess in rowing and and kayaking and other other sports that rely more on on training as a team that is is um is a different story. So, you know, the, I guess the yeah, the, the the funding is allocated to the to the program as a whole. And um, athletes tend to, you know, all train together, and and you know, we have a team of coaches, which is you know, absolutely the the best approach for a sport like this.
0: And the level of funding that you have at, um, at canoeing are are, are your high performance athletes able to just do canoeing, or do they have to have side jobs? Another Forms of income as well to, to survive.
1: Uh, so that I guess that that varies between the athletes. So our um, our um, women's team, the, the high performance team, you know, they're they're performing at a at a very elite level, and um, so most of them are, are just able to paddle. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have some some development athletes coming through as well, um, particularly on the on the men's side, um, but some some uh, female athletes in the high performance program as well who are working um, part time jobs alongside their sport. So I guess, yeah, like like all sports in New Zealand, um, you're only able to access um, you know really high levels of funding once you're achieving very um, yeah, you know, really exceptional results internationally, which is, you know, I, I think that's that's reasonable, right? Um, you know, we're we're spending taxpayer money, and and, um. Yeah, we're we're just grateful for, for anything that we that we get. Um, so I think you know we're we're really fortunate with the level of funding that we do get, uh, and we're able to do most of the things that we need to do, or all of the things that we absolutely need to do to be successful. Um.
0: The, um, the, the, the And from, again, different sports have different funding models, but your, yours is predominantly from uh, Sports New Zealand then uh, and, and around that achieving goals, uh, whereas some other sports, such as, say, tennis, for example, where there's a large amount of or a, 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 a sizable amount of gambling on your Wimbledons, Ronan Garris, uh, etc., they they can get some of their funding via the TAB. I guess that kind of funding, because people don't really gamble on uh, on canoe racing isn't 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 a, isn't a stream for you. It's it's predominantly through New Zealand Sport or well, Sport New Zealand, sorry.
1: Yes, yeah, So Sport New Zealand and its um, subsidiary High Performance Sport New Zealand. So and most of our funding comes from from HPSNZ. Uh, we have um, some some small amounts of funding as well from Sport New Zealand um, and a little bit from the the Class Four Gaming Trusts as well. Uh, so we're yeah, I think that's that's definitely a, a focus for us as an organisation, trying to to build more sustainable revenue streams that don't just depend on results year on year. Um, and yeah, so we've we've been working on some some projects in, in that area. Basically, we we just need to, I guess, connect better with the the large community of people who already do paddle kayaks, um, but who don't currently have anything to do with us, and find something that we can offer them. Um, yeah, you know, as as a way to connect, and then and then also to recruit new people into the sport.
0: So is is that because I mean, a lot of people do uh, kayak on the sea. So is, is that part of where the surf uh, the the surf riding, um, kayaking comes in to try and engage with that crowd?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I mean, I think realistically, the the biggest participation base for our sport is is probably going to be um, you know surf ski kayaking, and. Yeah you know, so we've we've actually just uh, been successful in a bid to host the world champs of surf ski in 2022 which is which is really cool. Um
0: so where whereabouts will that be held?
1: Uh, in Takapuna in Auckland. Yeah. Um, so that'll be that'll be really great and, and I think we're you know we're really keen to use that as a, as a way to kind of um, create a legacy for the sport too so you know to be able to tell to tell people getting into the sport or, or people who are already participating um, that, you know, they, you know, sure, they might not race the world champs in 2022, but to come along and be a part of the, you know, the festival that we'll put on around the event, um, that's that's a really great opportunity and, and, you know, build a bit more awareness of what the sport is in New Zealand. Because um, it is, you know, it, it is actually a really cool sport, I think. Um, you know, having another, yeah, another great way to access, you know, our, um you know, our ocean in New Zealand which you know is a it's a pretty special thing to be able to do but then also you know it's it's um, pretty safe um, low impact you you're not going to suffer a lot of injuries so you know plenty of people can't um, can't do too much run, uh, running uh, for risk of injury or um, sick of getting knocked off their bikes um, but still want a yeah good sport for exercise and it's yeah it's it's pretty great.
0: So, is there a uh, New Zealand tour of of um, surf skiing?
1: Yes, yeah, we have a, a national series for points um, called the Darcy Price Series, and uh, and then there are you know clubs and and local events that that happen as well, and it's it's also I guess a bit connected to surf lifesaving, and mm-hmm. that you know there is a surf ski paddling uh, discipline in, in surf lifesaving, so. Anyone who's done that already has the skills to, to come and and paddle a surf for, for enjoyment or to race.
0: Oh, cool. So, and the and um, how big is it nationally? I mean, because I'll be honest, it was until I looked on your website, it wasn't a sport I'd even heard of. So, uh, when hmm. when you say you got the national champion, the, the, sorry, the international, um, the world the world championships in Takapuna in two years' time, uh, how many countries will turn up? Um, who who are the big who are the big countries in the sport?
1: so, so surfski paddling is um, yeah, i guess there there are i mean there are thousands of surfskis out there in new zealand uh, probably a couple of hundred who would regularly turn up to races okay. um, internationally it's it's a growing sport so we'd expect i guess maybe 500 competitors at the world champs including the the age groups mm-hmm. um the it's it's really big in south africa uh, interestingly so i guess South Africa is not traditionally as strong in sprint kayaking, but they have you know, huge numbers of people paddling in river races and in surf skis. Um, it's, it's pretty big in Australia as well, and they, they get really amazing numbers at, at their uh, national series races. And it's growing in Europe and in the U.S. as well. So yeah, there are some kind of international races that kind of run as, as paddling festivals. And so it'll be kind of a week, a week of paddling. With a race on one of the days, and yeah, you know, they'll regularly get kind of 500 people from around the world.
0: Mm. Cool. I, I, I did a bit of dragon boating when I lived in uh, Singapore and Hong Kong, and yeah, the, mm. that, that whole festival. When you get teams um, together, uh, it's yeah, those, those yeah, the event. Yes, there is racing on the on the water, but there is so much going on off the water as well because yeah, you get such a large crowd of people. It's so uh, it becomes you yeah, say like festival. Um, mm. Of, uh, and, and meeting up with people that you only meet at, only only meet on well at other other, at other races really you don't see them at other times because you live at different parts of the country or different parts of the world um, as well so those yeah they're great uh, great carnivals um, as, as 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 well uh, so interesting that that's see that that's one of the big growth areas um, for you do you see much crossover between people doing both sports or do you think they'll from a the, 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 the there'll still be quite a a segregation um, and specialization between the two of them?
1: Oh, no, definitely, definitely heaps of crossover. So, um, the majority of our high performance sprint athletes uh, come or have come from surf life saving uh, or have been at least heavily involved in surf life saving. And then um, there are plenty of uh, surf ski, really good surf ski athletes who have been involved in sprint as well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, currently, world champs in in the uh, women's division of surf ski. Uh, the world champs, um, New Zealand women finished first and third. Um, so first was Danielle McKenzie, who's a, a surf lifesaver, has dabbled in a little bit of sprint racing, and and has expressed an interest in um, in perhaps taking up sprint. And then Tanielle Hatton, who was a, um, a surf lifesaver became a, a sprint kayaker, um, holds a world record in, in K1-1000 and um, has been really successful in surfski. So, yeah, there, there is definitely plenty of crossover.
0: Oh, it's great to hear. I'd, I'd, um, so, sometimes you end up with a couple of sports under the same umbrella that don't uh, – and cycling is a great one where you have mountain bikers and road, road, road cyclists, never the twain shall meet. Um, <laughs> but it's good to see that there is that crossover between the between the two um the two sports. Um, sure.
1: We're working on um, so not not just you know encouraging crossover between the disciplines under our um, umbrella, but also amongst paddle sports generally. So we're actually working on a project at the moment um, to create a kind of uh, a hub that connects uh, paddle sports of all types. You know whether that's stand up paddle boarding or, or river paddling, whitewater um, slalom, um, waka ama, surf ski. Um, sprint because in the end I guess you know you you can there's currently not not really a common pathway in, into into paddle sports and so we've developed a, a learner program that will provide a pathway for anyone who wants to learn I guess any of these disciplines and then um, it, it just makes sense for us all to work together on these things because you know I guess with our quite quite small um, membership or small community it's hard to justify spending a lot of money or resource on on you know learner programs and that kind of thing whereas if, if we can pull everybody uh, then then it becomes I guess much easier to justify but also gives a lot more opportunities to anybody who who does start um, you know at the moment I guess unless you see yourself with a future in Olympic sprint racing or you know surf ski ocean racing You'd have no reason to engage with um, canoe racing New Zealand. Whereas if, if we can, I guess present opportunities to, to new participants, whether that's kids or adults, um, and and say, look, you know, learn to paddle, and these are you know this is the, the range of opportunities that's available that are available to you, um, you know, whether that's to, to paddle on a stand up paddleboard or to, you know, to get out there in a in an outrigger canoe waka'ama or you know, to do some sprint or to paddle down a river. Um, Do the coast to coast? I think that's a much a much more exciting um, proposition for people.
0: Yeah, and look, the the big difference between paddling and say rowing is, I guess, the two pieces. One is that you're a fixed seat rather than a a moving seat, Um, and the other one is also that the 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 paddle or the oar in paddling it's not attached, whereas in rowing you have it attached to the boat. So you end up with
1: look where you're going. Sorry. And you get to watch where you're going. And I you get to watch where you're
0: going. That's very true. Um,
1: a key advantage.
0: But the um, but it means it's very much so. So the, the commonality across your your canoeing, waka ama, etc. is that it's very much a core sport. Um, whereas the with with the rowing, you, there's much more legs and arms um, involved. So again, there's physically there's a, there's there's more commonality between them as well, isn't there? From a uh, from an athletic uh, and strength and conditioning point of view. So the stuff you could share there. Potentially in that space.
1: Oh, definitely, yeah, and and you know, right from from the skills that you learn early on in terms of just how to be safe on the water and and you know, setting people up for for good experiences, uh, and then right right through the through the levels um, to to the performance area where you know there are probably more similarities than there are differences for sure.
0: Yep. Um, the uh, and perhaps one of the the main things is is and it's good to see that you guys are, are looking at working together on those things rather than I've seen other um, ones where they start arguing as to whether canoeing owns dragon boating or dragon boating owns canoeing or whether it's separate or not. I've, I've seen those kind of arguments that, um, in other countries, which yeah, it seems uh, a bit petty at times. Um, uh, that's, it's been fantastic uh, uh, talking to you. Um, what kind of any sort of points that I think I, that do you think I've missed out and not uh, and not really covered it or have I, um, that you'd like to sort of? No, not really.
1: I'm here to answer your questions, so um, <laughs> no no particular agenda to push from from my side.
0: Um, but yeah, that's so any other sort of big events coming up? I mean, obviously, you, you've mentioned you've got the uh, the Takabuna World Championships uh, for the for the surf um, canoeing. What? Um, uh, any other sort of big championships coming up that uh, the people should, could could get along to watch or should be aware of? Uh, so
1: we're actually we're about to announce a, uh, a virtual uh, virtual race, which will take the place of our surf ski national champs. So, um, you know, unfortunately, we had to cancel our surf ski nationals in late April because um, because of the the COVID nineteen thing. So, so we're we're running our national champs as a, as a virtual race, uh, which, you know, I guess it's it's an interesting thing. I guess it, it's this this COVID-19 situation has, has forced people to innovate a little bit. And, um, you know, I'm not really aware of any other sport doing their national champs in this way. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that is. It, it, it will at least give um, many more people the opportunity to, to have a go. Uh, and then we're so, looking so, at so,
0: how, when, so, so when when doing that um now i've seen a rowing machine before um mm. uh, what's and, and I've, I've, I've seen some attempts at some some paddling machines that look really awkward um they're a stick with a rope at the end of of um of, of one of the ends of the sticks
1: oh uh, so yeah what's, sorry are what equipment you going to be using It'll still be on the water, um, but people will, once we get down to level two and, and there's a bit more ability to, um, you know, to go further from shore, we're going to um, ask people to submit their own time. So record their record their times on a GPS
0: mm-hmm.
1: for 12 kilometers. The only rule really is that you have to um, start and finish in the same place, which will negate the, you know, so you say paddle out and back or, or in a big circle. That just negates the effect of um, conditions, so that somebody won't be uh, at a massive advantage from paddling down a river or or having a really strong downwind while other people uh, are in flat water. Um, so yeah, paddle 12 kilometres, record your time, and and um, and you know send us the the proof of that time with the GPS file or a screenshot, uh, and and we'll we'll do a a ranking. So people will have a month to do it. And, yeah, it should be it should be really interesting. And we're actually looking at, at other things that we can do uh, in the future on a regular basis, not not just um, right now because of the COVID-19 situation. So that'll be cool. And we're working with um, some race organisers in Australia about setting up uh, a trans-Tasman surf ski series because, you know, plenty of, of our surf ski athletes Athletes would be travelling to, you know, Europe or North America to do surf ski races. Um, obviously, this year, this year, that's not going to be an option at all. So, uh, we'll we'll look at yeah setting up a Trans Tasman series for say late twenty 2020, twenty, early twenty twenty one, and and actually include a, a virtual race in in that series as well, which will be um, interesting. It should be it should be cool, and and we've had pretty good um, pretty good response so far on that.
0: How big's the window going to be that you're going to have uh, to to uh, to do your race? Uh, a month. Um, so what? Um, just yeah, riffing with ideas. Uh, potentially for your top athletes, um, maybe organise a. I don't know how long a 12 twelve twelve k takes, but um, potentially uh, get a um, uh, what do you call it? A, a drone to, to 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 film their their attempt, um, and then that can be put up on on there. Um, that way, you can yeah, guess, a great you know, get yeah. get some um, get some of your yeah get some of the, some of the, the the top athletes there can be involved in that. I know there are mm. certain drones you can actually you put an armband on, you throw the drone up, and it just follows you. Um, so there's that sort of technology. If, if they can't actually have someone in a boat next to them to, to mm. film, there might be a might might be an interesting way of uh, of yeah publicising it. Oh,
1: that's a great idea. Thank you.
0: The <laughs> Here you go. I should become a sports consultant. Um, yeah. the, um, <laughs> sorry, you're going to talk about other big events coming up.
1: Well, I mean, I guess that's that's it for now. It. There's a, there's a bit of uncertainty over the um, over the the rest of 2020, uh, but you know, obviously, Olympic Games next year, um, and and then I guess our our main work at the moment is you know on the high performance side where. Um, you know, our coaches are, are supporting our athletes and, and have made, or have made, or are making new plans for the rest of this year and, and into next year. And then um, we've been working on this other project, which we hope to launch in the, in the coming weeks. Um, you know, with creating this hub to you know to unite all the paddle sports and um, and to you know I guess yeah provide resources for people who are interested in getting into paddling.
0: Well, there you go, folks. We've got a scoop. We've had an announcement on the show, on, on the interview. Uh, you, you won't have heard about it yet. So this is a. Uh, this will be, uh, there'll, there'll be some people maybe running out already. Going, hey, you know what? Perhaps I can get a quick race in now, and, uh, get, and book bank my uh, bank my time. Thank you so much. Uh, it has been a great chat, Tom. Um, Thank good you. Good luck with that virtual uh, virtual race. It does sound, as you say, very interesting. A, a novel way of attempting, uh, well, of of, of of putting together a championship. Um, If you're watching, please don't forget to like the Facebook page. Um, We have got interviews with um, beach volleyball internationals. I've also interviewed a couple of Samoan rugby internationals. We've got other CEOs from various sports around New Zealand, uh, including Waka Armour volleyball, um, surfing. There does seem to be a water theme there that they're perhaps the more more open, Um, as well as various rugby provincial coaches and CEOs as well. So do check out the Long Talk Um, And if you prefer to listen as you go around rather than um, seeing a computer watching it, then you can always download the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all your favorite podcatchers out there. Uh, Thank you very much.